absolutely impossible to follow Jesus apart from community. It is not you and Jesus. It is not you and some podcasts and Jesus. It is absolutely positively, if you're going to grow to be like him, you have to surround yourself with other people who are walking in the same direction. everybody. Welcome to 2019. We are so glad that 2018 is over. Hallelujah. Um, Mike here with uh, my friend Kevin. Uh, Kevin number two, just always want to specify. And I've got uh, on right now, I don't know if you can feel it Mm -hmm. in the microphone, but I've got a winter. So what's this called? A seasonal light? Like, so, so there's this gray dome that settles over the Midwest in what mid October and it goes through March. I mean, it's the most depressing part of living here. Yeah. It's just the constant grayness. Agreed. And so I was looking at this, I was looking online at lights because they, they're supposed <laughs> to give you vitamin D. I don't know if it works, but it's so bright. I forgot to bring my sunscreen it's today. So bright you didn't here. have to buy the biggest one. <laughs> So welcome to the podcast. Um, uh, what we're, we've got a couple of things for you. Number one, uh, we've got some some changes, um, some small changes, some big changes coming up in the podcast this year, and we're excited to share those. Uh, we're still working out some of the details, but just know that going into our uh, fourth year, fifth year, fourth year of the podcast, um, well, we, we've got some Got some thoughts, had a big powwow in December with some folks and um, excited about some things we're going to be doing a bit differently. Um, and, and also, if you're willing uh, to support us, we are super grateful for anything that you do on however, however you engage with these podcasts, particularly iTunes, reviews and likes and subscribes and all those sorts of things are just incredibly helpful. Um, so anyway. We've got so so we thought we'd start with a Q&A episode. Uh, you guys seem to like those. And as always, the questions, they pile up in the inbox. I cannot consistently get my inbox uh, empty. Uh, Is that a New Year's resolution for you? Inbox zero? Oh, that'd be wonderful. And drinking coffee, I heard, was a New Year's <laughs> resolution for you. Uh, well, to finally support Kevin number two. Yes, yes. Yeah, if, I, if I were a coffee man, I would certainly be your patron. Um, all right. So, so a couple of, uh, so big questions. So this was from, uh, one of our, uh, one of our dear sisters who happens to listen to the podcast. Thank you. So this is, this, this comment is in reference to the masturbation episode that will now live in infamy. Oh boy. Uh, let me just say thank you. Well done on the podcast. Uh, having three sons all in their 20s. I wish I would have had a conversation like this with them instead of just drawing from purity culture that I was raised with, which is awesome. Thank you. Um, my only question in semi critique is why does this continue to get talked about in regards to men and boys? Sexual desire goes both ways. And uh, and I heard I heard that from several uh, d- several different women saying, "Hey, how come um, this issue wasn't addressed uh, from a from a female perspective?" And and you're absolutely right. Um, I don't feel qualified in any way, shape, or form to talk about female sexuality. Um, it, it is a great mystery to me, and certainly to Kevin number 
too. Um, Thanks for specifying the number two. <laughs> so, so great question. I will try to find because I, I don't. I, I mean, maybe I could have a, a woman on and we could talk about that, or maybe it should just be a couple of women talking about it or something. But I think that would be an interesting conversation. I, I don't. Again, I guess the reason it, it's talked about from the male perspective is because it's usually just the men doing the talking and. You know, we just assume everyone's like us, which thankfully is not There's true. There's got to be some women out there who teach on this, right? Oh, of course. We'll find them. Let's oh, find them. Of course. Um, it would just but it would be interesting, not just the specific act, but but the whole idea of desire from a female perspective would be a right. fascinating conversation. Because um, uh, I think the way that God intended it, of course, uh, is beautifully um, different from male sexuality and and therein lies the great mystery and 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 room for a whole bunch of country songs so excellent excellent critique totally agree something worth exploring uh, if anybody knows of any one out there right feel free to throw right. up to the inbox with suggestions oh that's a great idea you know yeah let's do that uh so question number two um, thanks for your podcast. I was wondering if you have a previous podcast about Christians in the military. We, we did a show and man, I don't remember. And I've, I've forgotten to number them, but we did a show on nonviolence. Um, oh, I, I don't know, uh, a year or so ago. Um, if so, you could point, point me to it. Well, <laughs> it's somewhere a year or so ago. Do you know what the title is? Any, any idea? <laughs> no. And I'm horrible. Okay. I should know these. Uh, do you know other good material? No, I can answer that. Do you know other good material on the subject? Yes. Uh, a guy named Preston Sprinkle wrote a book called Fight, just a Christian case for nonviolence. That would be super interesting because this young man continues. I recently joined the Air Force after getting a degree in ministry from Prairie College, and a friend of mine was deeply troubled by my decision, and it has made me want to dig deeper. I love that you want to dig deeper about this. I don't see an issue with it, but I want to continue to hear wise counsel on the matter. Is it wrong to be in the military or to be a police officer? Oh, my goodness. Those are phenomenal questions. Now, I'm not going to take uh, a, a whole lot of time to wrestle with it. Now, we could do a separate podcast on us, but, but it strikes me that we've done something already. Preston's book called fight is a really, really interesting resource. Um, uh, he's, uh, he's, yeah, he's just got an interesting approach to it. I would recommend it. My, my personal view and, and I don't, I don't, uh, you know, we could spend lots of time talking about it, but I'll just kind of give you the summary, uh, there. I think all violence is wrong against other image bearers, of course, and all violence anyway, um, but, uh, but there, there do seem to be cases where violence is sometimes necessary. And so, I mean, there were instances, I, I was a chaplain for a police department, in California. There were instances where even I had to help, um, restrain, um, sometimes, uh, different people and different situations for the sake of the safety of others. And, and, you know, the classic, if somebody opened my door with a gun and they were intending to harm my family, would I just let them do that and bless them as they did? Um, Preston deals with that specific scenario in his book, which is, which is really cool. So I'm not just, I mean, it's a great resource. Um, is it a sin? Uh, is it wrong to be in the military to be a police officer? The early church would answer yes. 
the early church, um, from my little understanding of church history, did not allow or encourage Christians to be in um, the legionnaire ranks or to um, uh, to even participate in theater because of some of the stuff that you would have to act out. Um, on the other hand, you have uh, you know a centurion that approaches Jesus, and Jesus doesn't tell him to quit being a Roman soldier. Um, even though he heals a servant. And uh, and then there's another instance where John the Baptist is preaching repentance and a Roman soldier says, what must I do? And and essentially John just says, well, don't extort more <laughs> than what what you need to get. Right. Don't don't you don't take advantage of your position. But he doesn't say stop soldiering. So there's a really robust debate about this. Um, and, and I don't know, I, I don't know that I could say that it's, it's right or wrong. I, I wonder if there's a bit of depends on the human heart of the person in, in those answers. Meaning if, if we're pursuing, um, military police careers because we secretly, you know, enjoy violence and love gun culture and those sorts of things. Well, I would have a different answer than somebody who, cause I've, I've met some deep, deep, um, uh, Jesus followers in both the military and in um, and in law enforcement who do an, an incredible amount of good, even in those callings. So I, I wouldn't answer it definitively. I would point you to Preston Preston's book and just say, I'm super proud that you're even wrestling with it. I mean, I think that's a huge, huge deal. Yeah. And that Preston book is called Fight. Fight. Preston Sprinkle. Peace Sprinkle. Cool. Um, so great question, man. So good. All right. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast for a while. I have agreed with just about everything you've said. Wow. So that's a red flag. A huge red flag. must not have been listening very long. Kevin, number one and number two would disagree with that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I had one question I'd like to throw into the mix. Some of what you talk about seems to be aimed at pastors and church leaders. Um which makes sense since you're one <laughs> and as a, as is a good portion of your audience. I've never been one. I don't expect that to change. <laughs> My question is, how should I react to the things addressed to church leaders? Uh, the things that are relevant to me personally, I try to apply, but a lot of things I can't do anything about since I'm the guy in the seat and uh, I don't really have input into what goes on at my local church. If you have any thoughts, I'd love uh, if you have any thoughts you could address to the guy in the seat. We'd like to hear them for the record. I've got a few years on you and see a lot of things the same way you do. All right. What a great question. And yes, I think that for um, because I, I come out of a church leadership world, that is my natural filter for seeing a lot of these conversations and and, um, and, and, and it's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, um, I, I can, because I've, I've done a lot of the things that, that we critique on the show and have been guilty of those things. I, I feel like I could, I have something to say around some of those issues, but on the other hand, you're right. Um, we do spend a lot of time talking about the church as if there are a whole bunch of church leaders listening and there. And, and as it turns out, I think there are. Um, a whole bunch of church leaders listening. But the big thing for for us, if you're sitting there and you're listening and you're thinking, okay, fantastic for church leaders, but I'm just a guy in the seat. Um, First of all, uh, just a guy in the seat isn't nearly the 
the low grade part of the problem of church culture has been that we've denigrated the guy in the seat so that you even have to say, but I'm not a church leader. I'm just a guy in a seat. That's not how the church was supposed to function. That's not how the church is supposed to look. That's not how you're supposed to think of yourself. So we've already, by making that distinction, we've already done something, I think, that the New Testament would frown upon by simply calling you a guy in a seat and that's all you do. You were, the church, of course, was supposed to be a place where everyone was utilizing their gifts. So to be in a guy in a seat would have meant in the first century that you had sacrificed much to follow Jesus that you had a, that uh, you had at least one or two spiritual gifts that you were exercising when the community gathered together and that you would have input on um, where the community was headed not 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 necessarily like a democracy where we're voting but certainly the the earliest church expressions were much flatter in their organization and leadership structures than we have today makes sense so that's the first thing i would yeah, say absolutely thank you so good it's a great question. Mm-hmm. And then the second second thought I have when you talk about just being the guy in the seat, um, if, if you're going to see yourself that way, then whose seat are you going to take? So when we're talking about church leadership, I'm hoping that the things that strike you as biblical or wise or whatever are things now that you're looking for in a community. In other words, you're hearing them not just addressed to church leaders, but hopefully how, as a, a failed church leader myself, we ought to be exercising church leadership. And so what, what I mean by that is, so if, if you're hearing something and you feel like it's just addressed to people who lead churches, um, but it's resonating with you about how churches should be led, then, then what seat you choose to sit in, in terms of what community you participate in, should be affected by um, by the values and by the mission and by the sorts of things that we're talking about um, surrounding church culture. Make sense? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, it does. I, love, I, I don't love, know why you're laughing. Well, because I don't know. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So um, go ahead. No, you, you go ahead. I think, I think you're getting to, uh, so why is, why is that so important about what seat you choose to sit in? Say that well, again. no, just that, if um, if we're talking about church culture, we're talking about church leadership and you're not a church leader, it's still relevant to you because you're participating in a church and you're following some sort of leadership. Mm-hmm. And um, and so these sorts of things, uh, I think some of the some of the narcissism stuff we've talked about, some of the sexual abuse stuff we've talked about, some of the, the, the ecclesiology, which is just theology of church we've talked about. I think that's incredibly relevant for you as, quote, a guy in the seat, um, because it totally affects what church community you get involved with. And if you're at a church community where the leadership is humble and Jesus is preached and and secondary battles aren't hills we all die on and and people are deeply engaged in ministry to the poor and to the marginalized. I mean, hallelujah. Don't just sit in that seat then get fired up and do something. But if you're at a church where um, you really are just viewed as an audience member and your job is to come consume and contribute money, then, you know, perhaps uh, I would choose to be a guy in a seat in a different place. So I think in that way, it's relevant. Uh, And I think you should have input on what goes on in a local church. The, The fact that you don't 
Um, and, and again, now I, I couch that by saying there are people who I've uh, associated with and, and been around who are in churches who, though they're not in any way, shape or form a leader in the church, um, have decided they have very specific views about how the church should be run. So I don't, I'm not encouraging that either. <laughs> there is a nice middle ground though, where um, people with very uh, informed opinions uh, should feel uh, absolutely free to talk about the direction of the church and the church should be open to hearing and gathering all sorts of input about its, its direction. Makes sense. Um, I'm hoping I'm answering this well. In terms of any other thing uh, to the guy in the seat, uh, I would simply say this. Your, if, you, if you deeply believe that um, you're, you're more than a guy in a seat, that you're filled with the spirit, that you're anointed and, you know, all these Christian big words, uh, then you have a huge vocation in the Christian world that transcends whatever you do at a church service. In other words, I'm glad. Thank you so much for listening and trying to apply whatever it is we talk about as it applies um, to you. But, but there is another sense that when we talk about church stuff, and even though it seems like it may be addressed to church leaders, there's all sorts of stuff that filters down into the big, huge vocation that you have in the real world. And so I wouldn't, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but you could be kind of making this very hard and fast distinction between what goes on in the church and what goes on everywhere else. And I just want to make sure that that, that distinction doesn't exist in your brain. Um, that, that what, what you do outside of whatever building you show up at every weekend, um, is vastly more important and, and vastly more significant ministry than, uh, sitting for an hour in a building somewhere, listening to, you know, people talk or play music. So, um, having said that, please email me back if I have, I haven't even come close to what you were curious about. Kevin, you want to add any thoughts? You are, you're just a guy. I'm just a guy <laughs> sitting in a church. So uh, maybe not necessarily his, his question, but would you remind us why we should be just a guy sitting in a church? Why we should? Yeah. Why we should go to a church? You said, you said that the vocational part was so much more important. Yeah, don't make fun of no, me. No, you, you said so, but why? So then why go to church? Why don't I just listen to this podcast and focus on my vocation? Fantastic. All right. We had a whole series of podcasts about why church. So that's back Perfect. there somewhere. Perfect. Um, I wanted just a quick reminder. No, no, that's the beginning good. of 2019. <laughs> well, church, of course, is a people, mm -hmm. right? It's not a place. It's not a program. So, so everyone will agree with that, but no one thinks of it that way. We think of it as this church meets at this location for this service at this time. That's what we think church is. And that's, that's absolutely false. So church is a people. You are, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are rescued in to a community of people. You cannot practice Jesus following without a community of people. You cannot practice Jesus following without immersion into the spiritual practices. Some of those spiritual practices include corporate worship, the practice of generosity, the taking of the Lord's Supper, the practice of baptism, uh, the learning, the reading, the digging into the scriptures. How you do those things, I think the New Testament gives tons of permission. There's no formula given. So there are house churches and there are mega churches and there are denominational churches and there are little, little bitty churches and thousands of people, big churches. And, 
you know, if, if there is a, is Jesus Lord? Are the scriptures preached? Are there, you know, there, there's kind of a basic minimum there about uh, what qualifies as a gathering of Jesus followers. But in terms of how that plays out for you, um, it can play out a lot of different ways. Absolutely. So I, I we have uh, things that we call micro communities that have formed out of the podcast that um, the where this is listened to, discussed, meals are served. Um, you know, I, 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 I and, and that's so nourishing for people, which is so interesting because that is exactly what the question is, because that for the most part are probably not church leaders or right. the leadership on stage, but the, Correct. that the people who go to a church and put their butt in a seat right. on a Sunday morning or whenever. Right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's an, that's an application to the podcast. For sure. Is, well, it's been a wonderful surprise. Yeah. We never, uh, we never thought that yeah, we don't kind of thing would that. happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this, this has been a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the bigger point is, uh, that you cannot practice Jesus following alone. So sitting in a car, listening to spiritual input um, does nothing for you. <laughs> it's, it's literally when you obey and live into that spiritual input, that transformation happens and that discipleship happens. So if, if, if you're just stuffing yourself with, okay, here's Keller and here's some Chan and here's some, you know, Beth Moore and here's a little, I don't know who else, Erwin McManus or whatever, Um, and, but none of that gets played out in real world community, then my friend, you are in trouble. That is not Jesus following. Jesus following is having a community of people where we do the Christian life together. Now, again, I don't mean that we meet in small group every week. I mean that we share the bread in the cup, that we, uh, baptize our children, that we sit under the scriptures and wrestle with what they mean and how they apply, that we that we have have been unified around a few things. See, that just doesn't happen. And and, and the bigger, you know, the 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 more diverse whatever your community is, the better it's going to be, right? So if it's just young white people, well, that's a problem. That's not you're you're not going to grow into the kingdom into the fullness that you could if you were sitting in a in a room with old people and young people or white people and black people and Latino people and whatever else, right? I mean, so so I'm not saying. That, hey, we have a small group of people just like us, and we only do what we want to do, and that we call that church. Well, I think there's still something missing even there, right? There's there's some sort of submitting to one another aspect that happens in community, particularly around community that's not like you. So I, I made a choice. We drive 20 minutes to a, um, a church location, and, and we do that because it is the most diverse uh, group of people I've ever been around. It's a big church and it is 10 years ago. It made uh, a very intentional choice towards diversity and it lost thousands of white people for that choice and has gained, I think it's like 140 countries. And, um, and so I, the, so I will actually drive past other churches to participate in a large church because it represents um, the kind of diversity I think that is so missing in some of our church expressions. Now, I know that's a long rambling. That was fantastic. Did I I get it? What you were asking? That was good. I think you might want to put a little caveat in there for your Southern California friends that 20 minutes in Columbus, Ohio is actually a really far (laughs) distance to drive. Hey, SoCal, that's just everything. SoCal, that's like trying to go to your supermarket coffee shop. Hey, Target. It's not coffee. Coffee shop. Is it coffee shop? Yeah. Coffee shop. 20 minutes away. Everything's 20 minutes. Everything. 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 To get out of your neighborhood takes 20 minutes. (laughs) 
So <laughs> look at you go. You don't see. even. You're not even a native, and you know that. Absolutely. All right. So that's a great. No, question. I thought that was great, and I think that even ties into just the whole point of butts and seats versus. Right. I mean, starting out the year, looking at 2019, it's like. If I'm going to really walk with God, it's I loved what you said about how it's not as it's not about what I consume. It's not about what I'm bringing in, but it's how I'm doing that in the midst of right. community. So right. that, I think that is a great way to start this year. Kind of really evaluate, <laughs> well, I mean, evaluate our communities. Right. How do you and, practice and, loving your enemy? If, yeah. you, if you don't, if you're just surrounded with people who who you like. Right. I mean, there's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all this, all of this, all of it has to be worked out in community. And there's nothing wrong with being around people who are like you, but if that's just all the people you're you around, grow. you are missing a whole yeah. heck of a lot. That's good. Thank I mean, you. We're we're sitting in church. I'm sitting in Sunday, and I'm surrounded um, by African American people, and and I'm just I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. And it's not because. Um, uh, it, it, and, and it's not because it's just some token thing. It, it's actually, no, it's this deep sort of, this is what heaven's going to, right? This is yeah, this is what the heavens sure. looks like. And it just feels so good to me. All right. Last question. Kevin, number two. Uh, Mike, it is clear that where you are today, theologically, vocationally, and maybe even philosophically, is not where you once found yourself. And, that, and that's true. Some things have absolutely stayed the same and have gotten more sure, like the beauty of Jesus, my desire to follow him and be like him and my commitment to the church and all those things have gotten more solid. But yes, there have been uh, all, all sorts of evolution on other, other things. Mm -hmm. No question about it. At first blush, this is an obvious observation for anyone who's tracked along with you all at Vox Podcast. But I myself am curious how you have labored for Christian unity, Ephesians 1.10, amid dissenting theological perspectives. More specifically, what wisdom might you be able to pass along to pastors and church leaders alike laboring for unity over against uniformity? Thank you for making space for questions such as these. All right. What a wonderful question. Mm -hmm. So, so we did, I don't know if you remember this, but we did a previous podcast. I think it was in the sixties. Um, it was called, um, the stages of spiritual maturity. And it, and it, and it's, if, if you're listening, you've never listened to that one, please go listen to that one. And it's not because it's a great podcast, uh, but it's really good material we were wrestling with. And, um, I'd really encourage you because it, it addresses some of my approach to this specific issue. So, um, I, I'll skip the material from there and use uh, a couple of other th things that have really helped me. And I'm by far, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not good at this. I, I have a long way to, to go, but because there are some things that I used to really believe strongly that now I believe the opposite of those things, I have a, a great deal of sympathy for people who are in, in process, whether that's deconstruction or whether that's just simple, you know, growing uh, uh, beyond your parents' faith or whatever it is, I have a great deal of sympathy for, for people like that. Um, very early on in my Christ following, a man uh, pulled me aside and he said, you have to learn how to distinguish between opinions, beliefs, and convictions. Now, people call these things different different words, but you'll get the idea. These were the words that he used. And this, and this totally, uh, was one of the most important moments in at least the theological, 
approach to Christianity I've taken. He said, opinions are gut reactions to things, right? I, I read something. Oh, I like that. Oh, I agree with that. Right? You haven't, you haven't studied it. It's not like you've, you could articulate the opposite position on something, but it's just, it's just what you think. Um, that's different than beliefs. Beliefs are things you've studied. They're, they're, you've read both sides on this thing. You could articulate um, not a straw man on the other side. You can actually articulate the best argument for the other side. That's how, that's how much you've, you've dug into this, right? You're not making caricatures of the people that disagree with you. You, you've actually really wrestled with both sides of, of the issue. So a belief has kind of a higher epistemic commitment, meaning, uh, is it's not just something I, I think immediately and can change immediately, but it's actually something I've worked through for a period of time that I hold a higher commitment to. And um, it's not it's not as easily changed as an opinion is. Make sense so far? Yes. Then <laughs> I, I always I always feel dumb throwing that out there. And then I look at you and you're like, you feel like you should answer. Um, you looked at me. When I know. I'm sorry. The question. I was, okay. All right. All right. Uh, I'm rusty. Two weeks off. Yeah, rusty. absolutely. Uh, it's glad that you have that giant light behind you. And I can't even see you. you got sunglasses <laughs> on. Um, convictions, however, these, these are the things that you like there that you would begin to die for. These are the things that sh fundamentally shape how you see the world. These are the things that um, have the highest epistemic level of commitment. That's a big word. I epistemic. Know. Yep. It has to do with, with truth and your commitment to it and how you know it and how you hold it. It's a fascinating, fascinating branch of philosophy. But when, it, when I have a conviction, now that's something I hold really. So you could, you could kind of think of it as um, there are two different pictures in philosophy about how you hold beliefs. One is like there's this web like a spider web and the, and the outternal, the, the outternal, the outside or external strands are like your opinions. And as you work your way towards the middle of the web where it's tighter and denser, you go through beliefs and then you land right in the center of the web is like convictions or some people view it as like found a foundation. Uh, the foundation is kind of the most important part and everything you build on that. So you're, your, your convictions are your foundation. And then you have your beliefs as kind of the next level up. And then you have your opinions as the next level up. You can picture it however you want to. But the idea is, and, th and this was the thing he said that was really helpful. He said, you should have the fewest convictions and the most opinions, right? Numerically, you should have, okay, opinions on everything. Fine. Because I'm studying, and you followed his advice on that. I have many one hundred percent opinions yes. on many things. Yes, uh, and then you have fewer beliefs because you've actually taken the time to wrestle, and then you have the fewest convictions. So that was the first point. If, if you're making everything a conviction level issue, you're not a. Then they're no longer convictions. You're just you're confusing categories, right? If everything's a conviction issue, nothing really is a conviction. But it seems like so many people, and this is generalization, but do that. Right, right. Hold on. Yeah, okay, okay. We'll get to that. Because uh, that... Did you just point a finger at me? It, you can't see it, but it blocked the blocked the sun. Thank you. Um, the, the, second, the second huge point he made 
was you should never express your opinions or beliefs like you would express your convictions. And so it was not only how you hold what you believe, but how you express how you hold what you believe. So let me tell you how this has worked out. My opinions, you know, can can change, you know, with the you know, with the new moon. I mean, okay, I read something else. I'm like, oh, well, that's a better argument than that one. Fine. I haven't researched. I haven't said it. Beliefs don't change as much, but I've, I I have. So I used to believe that spiritual gifts um, ceased uh, when, because that was how I was raised. Uh, They ceased so that like the gift of tongues or healing or all that stuff wasn't around anymore. And because of a great deal of study, I don't believe that. So that's a that's a belief issue that has changed. Women in, in leadership, I think it's absolutely a tragedy how women are treated in the church today by by most by most um, evangelical churches. I think it's an absolute sin and tragedy. I didn't always think that, and so that has evolved. My views on race uh, and the the necessity of uh, of practicing Jesus following with the nations, those have evolved. I mean, of course, of course, of course. But those aren't conviction level issues. Conviction level issues are issues where you'd actually break, and I'm speaking just to Christians, of course, but where you'd break fellowship with somebody over. So, so like they're, they're the fewest, but they're the strongest. So like for me, if somebody... Um, claimed to be a Jesus follower and just said, hey, you know, the Bible to me is just another book. There's nothing at all special about it. I'd really disagree with that. Like, I would genuinely disagree. Now, I I wouldn't get into all the, you know, is it inerrant or is it this or that? I have no no, uh, dog in those fights. I just think the Bible is is this beautifully inspired and authoritative book that if Jesus followers are going to claim to be Jesus followers, there's something unique about it. However you spell that out, there's something unique about Jesus. He's more than just some random guy walking around, right? That's fundamental to like being a Christian. That's like, that's like the lowest common denominator. Like Jesus, there's something special about this Jesus guy. There's something special about what Jesus does that you can't rescue yourself, right? There's something special about human persons. So for me, when I, when I hear guys like Peter Singer, who's an ethicist, you know, argue about the, the fact that, that, that human beings have the same moral value as, you know, slugs. Um, uh, and, and he's totally consistent in his naturalism and thank you for that. But I, I, that's a, like, that's a deal breaker for me because I fundamentally believe that God exists and God has created. Now, whether he used evolution or not is a secondary issue to me. But like there are a few conviction level things, right, that are like, okay, I, I theologically, I'll, I'll go to the wall on these things. But it's that it's such a few, like it's so small in number. Tons of belief things. And you're right, Kevin, I pointed to you again. This, this is the hardest discipline to practice. The hardest discipline to practice is how do you know <laughs> when something is a conviction issue and something is a belief issue? Great question. Because I have very strong feelings about women in leadership, and I have very strong feelings about my, my, the, the theology of some of my Calvinist brothers and sisters, and I have very strong feelings about you know all sorts of things. And I've been afforded the great luxury of being able to study a lot of this stuff. So, so I have, 
I have more believings than the normal sort of, you know, Jesus follower, just because I've, I've have had this tremendous career that has encouraged me to read and study the Bible, which is the greatest job in the history of the world. So, so here's, here's how then I begin to answer your question about uniformity versus unity. Um, I run my grid. I, I try to be very disciplined in what level and what issues are conviction level issues. And I'll, I'll very often distinguish between uh, a, a conviction level issue like human beings are made in the image of God versus a belief level issue, which is uh, the universe is 6 billion years old versus 6,000. And, you know, God used evolution to create people versus no, he created them in six literal days. To me, that I can hold the value of, of human beings being made in the image of God as an ultimate conviction level value and then hold the way that works out at a belief level or even an opinion level. Make sense? Yes. And and that 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 gets super fuzzy, like the Bible. Okay, there are people who believe the Bible is inerrant, and there are people who believe the Bible is not inerrant, but yet authoritative and inspired. To me, and I know people will kill me for this, but uh, that distinction to me is a belief level issue. Um, what's significant to me, what the conviction level issue for me is that the Bible has some sort of authority and inspiration that's been delegated to it by this God that we claim to believe in. Absolutely. That it is, it is a true record of Jesus of Nazareth and a, a, at least a true revelation of his character. It is trustworthy. Uh, it is beneficial. And then the quibbles we have about, well, you know, how do you understand some of the seeming errors or contradictions? Okay, that's great. But now we're belief level. Now, some people will say, no, no, anything about the Bible has to be conviction level. And that's where I would disagree. But I wouldn't break fellowship with somebody who said, listen, if you don't believe the Bible is inerrant, you cannot be a Christian. I don't think the scriptures teach that at all. I think that's an extra traditional thing we've put on to the scriptures. Does that make sense? So it gets fuzzy because some will say, but yeah, anything about the Bible's conviction level issue. And I'm like, well, not for me, because uh, I can have fellowship with somebody who says, no, I think there are errors in the Bible. And I may, I may say, no, I don't think there are errors in the Bible, but, but we're still tracking the same Jesus and we're still submitting to the same scriptures. And we're, you know, even though we may have disagreements about how it works out, I'm not abandoning ship with somebody who would say, no, I think the, you know, account in Exodus didn't happen the way it's written. And, you know, cause I mean, I'm surrounded by those Kinds of folks, right? I mean, and, and part of the reason why so many people are leaving the church is because we've made belief level issues or even opinion level issues. We've made them at the conviction level. So you have to believe in eternal conscious torment or you really don't believe in hell. You have to believe, right, that every single letter of the scripture was directly from God and it is 100% accurate or you're not a Christian, you have to believe that the universe was created in six literal days and is 6,000 years old, or you don't take the Bible seriously. I mean, all of these sorts of things, and there are some, there are some in the Bible, right? There are. Absolutely. If anyone, <laughs> if anyone is going to claim that Jesus is Lord, 
right? But then not do what he says. Well, the truth is not in them. If anyone claims uh, to, to follow Jesus, but doesn't love their brother, the truth is that I mean, there are these statements in the Bible, but very often they're around behavior. They're not around theological principles. The only theological principle, well, no, there are more than this, but certainly in the, in the epistles of John is the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. For Paul, that Jesus rode physically from the dead is a non-negotiable thing. Absolutely. And then, and then why even buy the Christian story at all? If you don't believe that God is real, that the early church's testimony that Jesus is not just a prophet and not just a way to God, but was actually God in human flesh who accomplished some sort of salvation for us that we cannot merit ourselves. To me, that's the core of the Christian story. And, and those are the things where, you know, when I get around our Jehovah Witness brothers and sisters or Mormon brothers and sisters, we have very interesting talks because now we're starting to talk about some things that are starting to edge up on conviction level issues, right? right. Was Jesus actually created like Lucifer was? Uh, is Jesus eternal or not eternal? Uh, is the Bible actually uh, false? And wherever the Book of Mormon trumps it, we should follow the Book of Mormon. I mean, we've had great conversations about these things. Um <laughs> But for me, the, the first move towards unity is, A, what are, the, what are the big convictions? What are the things I'm willing to die for? Right? If someone said, I want you to deny that Jesus is Lord, I'd be willing to die for that. Absolutely. I want, I want you to, Mike, I want you to deny that your son with Down syndrome uh, is made in the image of God. No, I'd die for that. I want you to, I want you, I would literally die if someone forced me to just say, hey, the, there's nothing true in the, in the scriptures. I'd die for that. I don't believe that at all. I wouldn't die for whether or not evolution is true or, you know, creation or some account of the atonement. I don't, I think that there is a big, beautiful tapestry. And the reason so many people are leaving, quote, the church is because we've made it suffocating. And it is true that there are people now wandering the margins, claiming things that, that the historical church would have no interest in claiming as part of what it means to be a Jesus follower. But it's also true that the tight knit, we've got to lock everything down. Theological approach of evangelicalism is driving more people away from Jesus than, than, um, than any other thing. And so the first, first thing I do is I practice this uh, conviction, belief, opinion, and then, and then you could disagree with my convictions. Great. But is that, <laughs> are we having conviction level disagreements over my convictions or belief level convictions over my disagreements? Because like, unless you can argue uh, the other side and give me, okay, here's the best case for, um, you know, what, whatever issue it is that we'd be disagreeing over, I wouldn't. I, it wouldn't rise to me that you're challenging a conviction. I would just say, okay, well, then we're having a belief level issue because you don't even know the best argument for the other side. But the bigger point is that unity in the scripture has nothing to do. Nah, that's too strong. It doesn't have as much to do as we think with theological conformity as it does with the practice of following Jesus together. In other words, the unity the Christians displayed, yes, yes, it was theological. Jesus is Lord, but it was not spelled out in a thousand different categories. The unity that they had was displayed in their generosity, displayed in their hospitality, displayed in their public witness, displayed in their willingness to serve and to die and to sacrifice themselves. That was just as much of their display as it was the theological conversation. So the fact that the minute we hear unity, we mean we've got to agree on stuff. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. 
there is a much bigger category of unity, I think, presented in the scriptures that includes, of course, theology. Theology is incredibly important. What you actually believe, Kevin and I were just having a huge conversation about this before we started the show, what you, what we actually believe about God versus what we say we believe about God is like one of the most important things. Absolutely. And, and so theology of course matters, but it's not just theology and theology is totally unimportant in God's economy. If it doesn't result in a life lived out in accordance with that theology, the right believings don't matter. Demons have the right believings, right? I mean, none of that, who cares? The kind of unity we're to have is, yes, a unity of, of, of theology, but I don't think that should go very deep. I think the deeper unity that Jesus is talking about is how you love one another, right? I mean, that's, this is how the world will know you're my disciples. So, so the big, so that's a whole lot to say, <laughs> but the bigger second issue for me, and, and um, the, one of the ways I try to fight for uh, generosity towards others is uh, I am quite literally the biggest sinner in all of these conversations. I mean, at the end of the day, the darkness in my heart is so much greater than the darkness in anyone else's that, um, that I, I, I dare not presume superiority theologically, morally in any way, shape or form, right? That, that is the death of the kingdom in us is self-righteousness or pride and, um, and so I find if people are deeply humble and deeply willing to listen and to pursue truth together, unity is much easier to find. Um, when people are like we are now, we raise everything to conviction level. We shout, we outrage, we don't listen, we don't listen to nuance, we don't believe the best about each other. Right. Unity is impossible. All we can all we can do then is say, well, I agree with these 12 truth propositions. And so we're unified. Nah, that's not how it works. So um, unity is the unity of faith is what Paul's after. And I think that's just a bigger category than unity of theology. Boom. I hope that helps. Anyway, 45 minutes. I'm tired. Kevin is sunburned. <laughs> yes, sunburned. And the left side of your head is also sunburned. <laughs> any, you have any last thoughts about that? Yeah. Uh, I think it, it gets so the, in that whole big conversation and, and we're, we're at the end, but how do you, how do you speak against kind of relativism or like, well, that's, we all have the same convictions, but that's not that's, what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me. I, I'm going to do me. I'm going to, you know, I do yeah. what I want. Um, but like around some of the, the big hot button issues that might be yeah. belief level. Yeah. But borderline conviction level, like sin issues and that sort of thing. Like, yeah. how do you. Well, people make homosexuality a, a conviction issue. And so you would put that in the belief category I, or I, even opinion well it, it depends on how the conversations had but whole churches are rooted around that issue totally. or, or others very you know women right. in and leadership I, and that sort yeah. of thing and i think that's tragic um it depends on how it's presented so i can have um conversations about sexuality at any of those levels right mm -hmm. i have opinions i have specific beliefs and then, and then convictions, but the convictions aren't necessarily tied um, to specific outworkings of sexuality. Rather, they're they're tied to a certain view of what it means to be human. And uh, so, if we were having a conversation about the rightness or, or the wrongness 
of homosexual acts. Okay, to me, we can have that conversation. And if it's a conversation about, well, I just think the Bible is irrelevant and wrong and presents a completely contradictory picture of spirituality. And so I choose to do whatever it is I'd like to do. Okay, I now we're now we're approaching like conviction level stuff for me. Because, and again, I'm not saying I agree or disagree. I'm just saying at that point now, now we're talking about uh, what role does the, what role do the scriptures play in, in arbitrating our believings together as a community, right? So when you're having conversations like that, well, that, that raises, that gets me close to conviction level issues, okay. right? Yeah. If you're having conversations about, um, uh, is gay marriage wrong? Um, then I'm, then I'm like, well, I don't, some people would absolutely say that's a conviction level issue because you're dealing with, you know, God created the male and female and, and, and what it means to be the Imago Dei. And I don't know enough to, to put it at a conviction level issue. Um, so for me, I would, I would, you know, my answer has always been, it seems like the ideal is in Genesis one and two and invalidated by Jesus um, seems to be one man, one woman, one life. Um, but I don't, I don't know anybody, uh, gay or straight who lives up to the ideal. So what do we do with a bunch of people who don't live up to the ideal? I don't live up to the ideal. Um, what do we do then? Uh, that to me is the far more interesting question right. than the question of whether or not these acts are right or wrong. And, um, my, my big point in any LGBTQ conversation has just been, we want to be consistent. And so if you are consistently going to say that um, homosexual acts, sexual acts are sin, then um, as long as you are consistently saying and acting at, towards, you know, premarital sex, extramarital sex, pornography, uh, the gray area before whatever marriage, whatever. Right. If you're consistently in those divorce, if you're consistently in those areas, OK, then hold that view. I'm just fed up with the idea that somehow we're okay with divorce in the church when Jesus was so clear about it. Um, but, but we've learned to just tolerate that, right? We accept divorced people. We love them. We delight in them. They can serve, but now it's gay people, right? They're the ones who, and, and I, that's the part that just disgusts me. And I think, you know, has really damaged, um, uh, the church's ability to witness, minister with, befriend, walk alongside with the gay community. You know what I'm yeah, saying? I so those are so, but it's tough because you're sitting there, and for and another one person's belief is another person's conviction. Right. So there is no settled list of convictions, and that's where we all get into trouble. The 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 practice though, of, if if I'm coming across somebody who has nothing but convictions and is unable to distinguish between how hard they hold this view and how hard they hold something they just read yesterday, I, I'm not, I'm not going to waste any time right. in discussion with those people mm -hmm. online or anyways, because that, that's not how this works. Paul clearly indicates there are disputable matters mm -hmm. within the church. People of the same core commitments can come to different conclusions. So, um, you know, carry on. But, but again, all of this stuff is fascinating and you can be immersed in all of it and still not love your neighbor as yourself.
And, and to which case then I would say, I'd rather be the person that doesn't have my theology all straightened out, but I love God and love my neighbor than the person who has my theology all buttoned up and is unloving. Which is contradictory a little bit. What do you mean? If your theology is all buttoned up, but you're unloving, right? Well, yeah, but it's possible. There you go. I mean, John even says it. Um, and so and just, just these are conversations among people who identify with Christ as Christians, right? Is that what you were saying before? This isn't necessarily. Yeah. I mean, if you, you put that, you put that kind of that blanket statement on, but, but I, well, cause I was talking about spiritual gifts right, right. stuff that some people outside the community are like, what is this stuff? Okay. I got you. Um, I just want you to reclarify that. But, but I think this is even more important when we talk to people who are not Christ followers, mm-hmm. because I mean, I used to, I used to do these big open debates and, um, so would have a question about Noah's Ark and I'd feel like I have to have an answer. You know, it was the dinosaur <laughs> do you know, eggs. Man. Do you know where it's located? Eggs. Yes. It's in Turkey, man. Of course they found wood there. Um, that isn't natural. The shroud of Turin. Oh my goodness. Yeah, of course it's of Jesus. I mean, right. I used to feel like I had to have stuff on okay. all that stuff. And that's just death because what you're communicating to people outside the faith is that you have to buy this whole package right. before you can start following Jesus. And so when I'm talking to folks who are like, they don't buy the Jesus thing and they want to have the, the, the homosexuality conversation and they're like, you know, can I be gay and follow Jesus? I'm like, well, I'm straight and I follow Jesus. So I'm assuming yes. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. yes. Uh, and people are going to throw, uh, you know, uh, but <laughs> forks at that because they're like, well, no, you can't be gay and follow Jesus. But yet, you know, I'm prideful and I follow Jesus and I lie and I follow Jesus and I'm greedy and I follow Jesus and I'm lustful and I follow Jesus. So evidently you can be a sinner and follow Jesus. I don't know. But see, th- this yeah. is how it really begins to play out. And and again, I'm being playful and hyperbolic, but there there's a sense in which this becomes... Um, really important about how people of God hold their faith. If you are fighting every battle with other Christians, you are wrong. If you're fighting every battle with people who are not Jesus followers, you are wrong. You are not. That is not what Jesus did. And that is not what the scriptures encourage us to do. Absolutely. So I'm wrong on many things, but that's not one of them. And with that... (laughs) Yeah, no, that was great. I appreciate I you know, clarifying that. That was no, Kevin. You do a great job of you do a great forcing, job. Shut up, forcing me to like clarify things. All right, brothers and sisters, thank you. Twenty nineteen is here, and we are here with it. May God, uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance to you. And in twenty nineteen, may He give us peace. Amen. Amen. Till next time, friends. Thanks.